calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. noches y saludos a este review de Blue Beetle aquí de la nación de Outlaws. Oh, what's up, everybody? How's it going? Welcome to this one review episode of the Blue Beetle here from the Geek Amigos. What's up, everyone? Well, so thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon live at 4 p.m. PT here on the West Coast. We are excited to dive in and talk about Blue Beetle, the latest uh, install, the latest, um, I'm not going to say it's the latest film from the DC universe that is in the middle between the transition from the old DC universe and the new DC universe. Uh, the film itself, overall box office wise, not doing the greatest, but James Gunn insisted on the red carpet. That Blue Beetle will return, will be in the in his uh, DCU. And certainly there's a lot of references uh, throughout this movie to a uh, already existing superhero universe, which is what he said his Superman legacy would be about as well. So we are here to talk about it all and break it down. Thanks so much for joining us. I am the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. Me amo, Miguel Vogel. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Don't have the rest of it. Writer mm. and producer of animated TV shows and movies. Peliculas e TV shows. Oh, good, good, very good. Uh, Je m'appelle Shadow McClung. Nope. Oh, wait, sorry. No, nope. <laughs> wrong nope. language. Nope. <laughs> and this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see season three every week on YouTube of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City. El YouTube. Yes, absolutely. Great stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love the Strawberry Shortcake stuff. Uh, congratulations, you guys, continuing the uh, Strawberry Shortcake uh, franchise. Uh, con uh, control of Netflix for sure. Uh, but yeah, we're going to get into all of it. Uh, this is a spoiler review. I'll say it again. This is a spoiler review. So if you have not seen it and you don't want anything spoiled, this is not the place to go. Go and see it and uh, come back and hang out with us. Uh, but if you have seen it, enjoy. If you don't care, I guess, keep hanging out with us. 
uh, that's fine with us. And the Streamlabs, the Super Chats are open. You see the Streamlabs address is pinned in the chats in the description of the video as well. So if you want to send us some stuff, uh, please feel free as we go along. Your thoughts and comments as we go along. All right. Um, this one directed by Angel Manuel Soto, uh, starring Zolo Maradueña here, uh, certainly coming out of Cobra Kai and becoming a man in this, uh, playing the role of Jaime Reyes, who is the third Blue Beetle in the history of Blue Beetles, arguably the fourth if you want to throw in the original, original Blue Beetle before DC Comics even started. Uh, but yes, this is the story being told here in this movie, up against Victoria Cord, played by Susan Sarandon and Carapex, played by Raul Max Trujillo. The Reyes family comes through helping Jaime get over this hump and become one with the Scarab. Michael, your overall thoughts here on uh, Blue Beetle. Um, well, you know, it's so funny. It's when I had a lot of conversations about this. Like, mm. is it the greatest superhero movie I've ever seen? No, it is not. Uh, <laughs> is it, you know, as far as the superhero story, is it pretty generic and straight down the line? Yeah. Um, is some of the comedy a little overly broad? Is some of it a little silly? Yeah. Um, so I don't think everything works. But all that being said, mm. uh, leaning into the Latino family and the Latin heritage, uh, the amazing cast, uh, his family, uh, Zolo doing an amazing job as Jaime Reyes. There was a charm to all of these characters that has been significantly absent in not yeah. just recent DC movies, but recent Marvel movies too. So I think the specificity oh, of this movie leaning into the things they lean into, like I... This was the first time in a long time that I just sat in a theater and just had a good time. Like I always in the back of my head, I'm going to be like, oh, this story moment didn't work. This was a little overly broad. And we can dive into those as we get into the specifics. But overall, I was in a good mood leaving. And the people that I went the, to the, the people that I was in the theater with, yeah. by and large, all came out and some big superhero people, some kind of more casual superhero people. And everyone was like, that was fun. And the audience seemed really on board. We actually were talking about this when we came out. When I saw Flash opening weekend in uh, at the Grove here in L.A., you could have heard a pin drop in that whole movie and not in the parts that you want to hear a pin drop. Like, all the big cameos, all the big, like, comedy moments. Like, that audience was, like, dead. They were not feeling that movie. And this audience in Blue Beetle was having a great time. Loved Nana. Loved everybody. Loved the Reyes family. So... I was charmed by this movie, uh, even though I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it like knocks everything out of the water. It was really, really fun. I really liked it. And I really want to see more of Jaime Reyes and his family. Yeah, certainly, you know, the first Latino led superhero film from a big name studio here, uh, right at the tail end of the old DCU. We were going to get a Batgirl that was also going to be female led. We were going to get more going on in the DC universe. And we had Blue Beetle, which originally had been an HBO Max uh, yep. property. Oh. And then they turned it into a theatrical film halfway through the shooting. So, Shannon, your thoughts overall on this um, uh, Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle that they brought out here from DC and uh, Warner Brothers? I mean, like Vogel said, I thought it was a delight. I mean, I think mm. the first half of that movie is a little rocky. Mm. Um, I think once they find their footing, it's really, really fun. Um, uh, George Lopez, uh, I think, is so, so funny. 
Uh, I think he does such a great job. Zola Maraduena, I mean, yeah, you really hope that he, along with the character, you hope that he makes that transition yeah. over to the James yeah. Gunverse because he did such a strong job. There's a few casting things that that I have issue with. One of them is our antagonist. Um, but Which overall, yeah. I thought it was I thought it was really, really fun. And again, going into this, like we we talked about this on our last show about yeah. expectations. Going into the Flash, those expectations were so high. Um, it would have been, it would have been a, it had to have been a hell of a movie to reach those expectations, and it was not a hell of a movie and soar way under the bar. Um, this, it was sort of like, okay, we'll see what happens, and it was a blast. I mean, my wife and all, my wife and I saw it on a Sunday morning, and we had such a good time. And even though we saw it at nine a.m., it was in a very crowded theater with a very enthusiastic audience so you hope that that even though the box office maybe was not what they had wanted that they would have liked to have had more hopefully this will have uh this will sprout some beetle legs and keep moving yeah i kind of want to counter the box office thing real quick because i mean like the fact that it even made 25 million considering how i think there have been six dc movies in a row that have underperformed or flopped at the box office so the fact that this came out is essentially the soft opening of the James Gunn DC verse and made 25 million. I think there should be a little bit of credit given to the film that it was able to uh, get as many people into the theater and word of mouth and people go to see it over and over again because of it. Would I have liked people to show up at higher numbers? Of course, who wouldn't? Uh, but I do want to I don't want to just consign this to the trash heap and add this to the pile of DC movies that didn't do well because this is actually a good movie. I really enjoyed this film. I've seen it twice now. I've laughed all through the film. Yes, are there some chunky dialogue and or clunky dialogue, dialogue rather, in a couple of moments? Yes. Did they split the focus on the villains a little bit? Yes. Um, and d- does the overall villain thing work? Not 100% for me. But the family is so strong. The performances are so strong. The joy you get and the fun, as Michael pointed out, that you feel as you're watching this movie, it just comes through out of its pores. It does well in spite of the issues it might have. It has you feeling good about this family and loving this family despite any issues you might have or shortcomings of the film. And I think that speaks volumes to the performances, to Angel Manuel Soto's direction, which I think is really good in the film and very confident, and that Gareth Donat Alcacer's uh, script, which I thought worked really well for the most part, even though, yes, Michael, you are correct. It's not stuff we haven't seen before. A female voice talking to you in the suit. That's essentially Friday from Iron Man, a thing going inside of them, a little bit of body horror aspect to it all. We've seen all that. But the but the uh, the uniqueness of the family, that's something we haven't seen. Right. With a family who is not a queen or a king carrying on a heritage or, uh, you know, a, a, an estranged father. This is a normal who's got mystical powers. <laughs> This is a normal, regular family who is dealing with this situation and trying to make the best of it. But the love for their children, and especially Jaime, is what helps them overcome any of the complications and obstacles and challenges they deal with. And I think that's, for me in the Latin community, there is so much here that I resonated with and that touched me. But I think overall universal, I think the story is really powerful as well in in what it ends up telling, telling you the message, which is family is stronger than any singular pursuit for money or greed, right? Or control of the world uh, as we have it. Um, uh, but let's 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 move on to Jaime Reyes' story. Michael, you're very familiar with Jaime Reyes in the comic books. 
How did you feel that they adapted uh, this story? And how did you uh, feel how Zola Maraduena did bringing Jaime Reyes to life? We're not in El Paso. We're in we're on El Paso right. Street, but we're in uh, uh, Palmeras. <laughs> what did you think about the overall uh, story they told here about uh, Jaime Reyes? Well, so one of the things, I mean, we t- I mean, we've talked a lot about how a lot of it felt very sort of straight down the line like we've seen it before. Hmm. Palmeras City's great. Yeah. Like, it's great. Like, I have not seen a city like that. And I think kind of, uh, you know, I think I was reading some articles with the director and some other people and said that, you know, in the comics, like, Jaime lives in El Paso, Texas, but that Batman has Gotham City, Flash has Central City, yeah. you know, uh, Supes has Metropolis. So giving Jaime kind of his own kind of unique city um, was something they wanted to do. And I think it worked great. I think having a city that was very much the haves and the have nots Mm -hmm. that you have this like futuristic looking side of the city that almost looks like metropolis. It looks like the Las Vegas version of metropolis. And then you have Jaime and his family living in the area that is, uh, is, is the have nots and saying that they're going to live there until, you know, court industries and those people want to like knock down their buildings and like build more shops. And you're like, yeah, okay. I get, I get what this, this is a very specific thing that we are talking about. The idea of gentrification, the idea of sort of the people living in a certain area that they've built up. You know, we, you were mentioning, you know, Elemental and how it like, you know, like how, how Elemental started small and like kept going and kind of hope that Blue Beetle does the same thing. But I think also Elemental sort of dropped the ball on telling a really interesting immigrant story and here they fully went for it and I think it really worked for them. And I think it worked in the location. Um, I think Zolo Zolo Marduena, uh, um, I think he did a fantastic job. I think he does a nice job in Cobra Kai, but I don't think he's always the strongest actor in Cobra Kai. (laughs) And I think he really stepped up to the plate in this movie. I mean, one of the things that I've always loved about the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle in the, in the DC comics is in a lot of ways, he kind of is the DC answer to Spider-Man. Mm. Um, he is this younger hero who's figuring out how to hero. He's quippy. You know, he's really enjoying being a hero. He's a lot, his, There's a lot of fun with him and his characters. And I think they really tapped into that here. I mean, you can see this version of Blue Beetle hanging out with a Batman or a Superman and you can kind of already see how he would act like him kind of fanboying him wanting to impress him having these amazing powers, but not fully having them figured out yet. So I think that they did a really good job, I think. And when we're talking about like comic book accuracy, I also think the way that they looped in the Dan Garrett stuff and particularly Ooh. the Ted Cord stuff. Yeah. Uh, if you are an older comics fan who re- grew up reading Justice League International, who loved Ted Cord and Booster Gold, like I think you had a big smile on your face for parts of this, like seeing them go into Ted Cord's, you know, Beetle Cave, yeah. and it's the cheesier, sillier, less high tech version of the Bat Cave. You're like, yeah, that's you got Ted Cord right, and Ted Cord wasn't even really in this movie. So I think they they had a lot of love for what's been done in the comics, and I think they did it really, uh, really well. I think they did it really authentically, and I was again, it just all kind of charmed me and gave me a smile, like seeing that whole seeing the Reyes family get into Ted Cord's Blue Beetle ship, whatever you call that thing, and fly it around, and like that was just comic book silliness at its best on the big screen yeah 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 i saw some uh, people in the chat and i totally respect that point of view they're like well mrs 
the Ms. Marvel show had a family that was regular or whatever. Yeah, but they weren't actively involved in the mission like they are in this film. You don't see a Nana whipping out essentially a space age machine gun to handle business and move his uh, her grandson's uh, butt behind her. So she can <laughs> I mean, those little things make the difference. And I get the comparisons, obviously, but I think this family is much more proactive in this particular situation. I think that made it unique to, and, and, and not in any way better, just unique in how it approaches but, this story I, for sure. Yeah. But I do think like, I mean, uh, to do, I mean, you are right. I mean, I think the Ray, the difference between the Reyes family and the Khan family is the Reyes family, like fucking went and rescued Jaime. Yeah. Um, but I do think the fact that we have these two younger superheroes, one mm -hmm. in the Marvel universe, one in the DC universe, yeah. both uh, very coming from a very specific ethnic background with that both have like strong family dynamics to them. Yeah. And both stories where the family does find out about, like, we don't play the secret identity thing. Like, both families right. find out about what's going on yeah. and both families support. You're right. The Reyes family supports more actively, for sure. <laughs> um, but I think the Khans and the Reyeses are a really great example of sort of a modern day take on superheroing, where we no yeah. longer keep secrets from our family. We no longer have our family as an obstacle that prevents us from superheroing. Our family finds out about it and we derive strength from our family that they support us in what we're doing, which I think for both uh, Kamala Khan and Jaime Reyes is really, yeah. really strong. So you're saying that we're now entering a new age of superheroes where if you come out with something, your family actually supports you yeah. uh, as you embrace this. Really interesting. Uh, Michael, I mean, sorry, Shannon, your thoughts uh, on how they handled the Jaime Reyes story in this movie compared to the comics and uh, everything that went on with him in the Scarab and where it took him to and, and everything it led to by the end. How did you feel about it? I mean, again, a big fan. I mean, the the Cobra Kai comparison, you know, is impossible just because that's where that's where audiences, by and large, were introduced to Zolo Maradona. Um, I always thought I, I think I thought he was stronger more than than Vogel did because his weaknesses in that show are not him. That is that show. <laughs> no, there are disagree. some people who love Cobra Kai, but that show is not good, <laughs> especially <laughs> the, 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 the more seasons it gets. It gets more ridiculous. Um, but he was always a really, really strong performer and a really, really grounding force in a show that is incredibly broad. Yeah. So putting him in this, it was kind of a natural fit. Um, it was interesting how Vogel thought it was sort of uh, Vegas meets Metropolis. I got like South Beach meets metropolis yep. oh, i totally I mean, got miami yeah me too yeah i mean it's like those bright neon colors um it was just so full of life and giving jaime uh, uh palmera city isn't just giving it to jaime it's giving it to blue beetle hmm. um because everyone knows like you saw george lopez remembered who who the blue beetle was it's like <laughs> yeah this was this was like our version of batman <laughs> this this guy this guy was great yeah. um so i thought zola maraduena did such a such a strong job um, and yeah, I mean, th there were many times, especially towards the latter half of the film, that my wife had to put her hand on my thigh because I was because uh, I was starting to lose it oh, a little man. bit. Uh, um, the the dynamic that they nailed between Jaime and his dad just brought me to tears. Yeah. Um, and like just watching the conversations that they got to have, like I think the family was about ninety percent there. Mom didn't get to do a ton. Nana yes, was true. fantastic. I didn't love Malagra's comedy. I thought a lot of it landed like a like a lead balloon. I thought really? once she, oh yeah, really? I didn't think yeah. she was. I didn't think she was funny at all. Wow. Um, 
But once you get to that big moment in the middle, you see the dramatic chops that she Mm -hmm. has. And it's like, okay, that actually, that really works. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and again, she's a younger performer. And so it's like, okay, not everyone, not everyone is going to nail kind of awkward comedy. Like really good actors can elevate bad comedic writing. Um, and, and that's not to say that the writing was bad. It was just, again, that first move, the, the, the setup of everything was just a little clunky. Yeah. Um, but he was great. And watching not just his dynamic with his dad, but al- also with the Scarab, with uh, Kajida, mm-hmm. um, that was like <laughs> that was like the venom that you want to see. Yeah. Um, it was just so much fun. And, you know, sort of the comparison to Spider-Man about you could see this guy hanging out with Batman. You could see this guy hanging out with Wonder Woman and Superman. To me, the what Zolo Maraduena does is what Ezra Miller struggles with, mm. is he makes it seem real. Like Ezra Miller had a couple of nice scenes in The Flash, but overall the performance was just kind of all over the place. Whereas Zola Maraduena, I thought was just talking. And I think that's what you need. Yeah. That's what you need in this is someone who just knows how to have a conversation. Yeah, I echo both of your positive comments about Zolo's performance. I was really blown away by that. Because like you, Shannon, I watched Cobra Kai, but there's not a lot of strong acting going on in that show. I mean, it's a fun show. It's great to really, it's great 80s nostalgia. For a guy like me, that that was my teenage years watching Karate Kid. But like, so it's fun to go back and revisit that and see it all. But there's not a lot of strong acting. Zolo, I think, moving further and further away, being less and less in Cobra Kai, was I feel like on purpose. Like I think he knows, like I've got bigger ideas, bigger things I want to do. I'm gonna tell you that right now. After what I saw him in this movie, I don't think anything's out of the realm possibility possibility for this guy down the road. I mean, if you're gonna have Justin Timberlake playing a serial killer in that reptile film. I'll be goddamned if Zolo can't be getting films roles like that that are interesting, layered, and nuanced to play and complex as well. Because what he showed in this movie was so interesting. I mean, the beginning with him where he is like, you know, the aspirational son. I know that feeling being the firstborn of a Latino family. Like, you got to go to college. You got to get that degree. Your father didn't do that. Your mother didn't do that. You've got to do that. There's that pressure. And then the dreams of wanting more, the dreams of sitting there going, you know, I'm in this small town, but I want what those people have. I want to I aspire to some level of notoriety or greatness or fame or money or wealth or whatever. But then five years later, it, you know, nothing's happened because you can't get out of this situation sometimes because it's systemic sometimes that you just can't get out of it. So what happens? You get a little stroke of luck. You stumble into a situation. You get a scarab attached to your body and then you go through all this. And I think Zolo did a really great job. With every one of those scenes, Mike, you make the Spider-Man reference so perfectly, him reacting to everything that it's taking control of him. And he's like, I don't know what to do. Ah," You know, but his instincts like Terminator 2, he doesn't want to kill. The Scarab wants to kill at first. He doesn't. It's not in his nature until later, obviously. And it's the Scarab that ironically has to pull him back from wanting to kill Carabax because of him blaming him essentially for the death of his father and of course victoria court as well so i like that we go with this progression but solo has these great scenes shannon you made an excellent point the great scenes with his father like when he's out there and they're having a drink after he can't sleep and he's stressed out and his i've had those drinks with my dad out there late at night on the porch it's a great thing a lot of fathers and sons have had those moments out there regardless of ethnicity so there's a universal thing to that and yes were they hanging a lantern on the fact that he was going to die yes but i still liked it for sure. And then later on, him and Rudy, I mean, we're going to get to George Lopez, but him and Rudy having those conversations, every family has that black sheep of the family 
Rudy is skeptical of the world. And we think initially he's like a, you know, a bit of a stereotype. He's got a, a big old truck called taco and all this shit. But then later you find out he's actually a technical genius. He's really smart at this stuff. And he feels that he's an outcast in his own family. And it's Jaime who's like, no, man, we love you. We respect you. We accept you for who you are. So there's a strength in that that I thought was really great to see in this movie and that Jolo was bringing in every one of his roles or every one of his moments rather. And the chemistry, it wasn't 100% there, but I thought in certain moments with Bruno Marquezine, as Jenny Cord, they had some nice chemistry. And I, I think they're actually dating in real life, but like the they scene, had some the, nice chemistry in those moments. The scene they had in the bedroom. Yes. Uh, talking about her dad. That, that, yeah. that was great. Like they, yeah. and that was all, like at that point, I was like, yep, I'm on board. Like you might not have chemistry yeah. throughout, but like that scene got me there. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end, when he is having that struggle with wanting to kill Carapax, that is all over Zolo's face, the anger, the frustration, the revenge because of the pain of the loss of his father is so powerful. And then when we see the scene with him and his dad earlier, when they're on that astral plane, Black Panther-like, having that conversation in essentially a Dia de los Muertos situation, it is so awesome to see him embrace that and change and make that switch and embrace the scarab, become one with the scarab. And so I really enjoyed that 100% yeah. here with Jaime's performance. Um, let's move on to the, um, uh, let's see, what's, 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 we, we've already been talking about a little bit, but let's really hammer at home the uh, family involved in here. Let's give some names uh, for the actors involved. Melissa Escopito plays Milagro Reyes. You've got George Lopez as Rudy, Uncle Rudy. Damian Alcazar yeah. plays Alberto. Elpidia Carillo plays Rocio, who is his mom. And uh, acting royalty, the queen, Adriana Barraza, plays Nana. Um, and so, Shannon, your thoughts overall on the family and how they worked throughout the movie, how they were introduced, the roles they played, and then slowly but surely how the film made them a central part of uh, of the movie here in helping to, as Michael said, rescue Jaime. Uh, they were all wonderful. Even even uh, Belisa Escobeda, who I didn't love everything. I didn't mm -hmm. love her comedy. I still thought she had a lot of nice moments. Mm -hmm. um, just watching that dynamic. The beginning of that movie is he's coming down that escalator and asks the guy, how do I look? <laughs> you look like you're about six figures in debt. I was like, that is a great line. <laughs> and then you juxtapose that with the family that they clearly have this news that they have to give him at some point. Yeah. But they don't want to do it. it. But you just see the pride in uh alberto's and rocio's faces and mm -hmm. this is this is the first this is the first reyes that you know graduated from college and then this was actually a very funny line when malacro says and the last one's being like ah, i'm not i'm not doing this not doing right, this right. um the introduction of george lopez holy crap <laughs> so funny about he's not getting out of the truck because big brother's everywhere he had he was just such a well defined character and i'm curious how much of that is the writing how much of that is george oh, lopez but either way it was just a, it was just a perfect marriage between those two nana was super funny um in the in the trailers i wasn't sure how that was gonna go because i'm like ah this looks like it could be kind of a sillier moment the lead up to her doing it when you find out about her revolutionary past i'm like that is brilliant yeah. and then she has just some really heart-wrenching moments as well when yeah. she's like, oh, trying not to get emotional right now. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Oh. Like, course. like we're not, we're not going to cry now. We'll cry later. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll definitely apparently, apparently, you did not take Nana's advice. <laughs> I wasn't in the story. I wasn't in the story. 
but, but you know that beautiful moment at the end like yeah. after they've rescued Jaime once the you know the day is won watching them come together like that was beautiful and Nana bringing in Jenny as well like it's like oh that was just that was just so so well done um and if they do get to do it like I don't know if this is going to get a sequel um hopefully we see the family again but I hope we get to see more of his mom because we don't get a ton with her but what we do get with her I think is really really good and just again watching the dynamic of that family was just beautiful yeah, you, you talk about the mom. She does get that one scene where she gets to essentially yeah. shake Jaime up, be like, okay, this is the moment. Step it up, and I'm going to talk to the scarab. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> fix, figure this shit out because we got to get we got to get past this. So, yeah, you're not a lot of time because the dad really was the focus. Their relationship was the focus, and rightfully so because of what happens to him. But, yeah, a little more with the mom would have been nice to see as well. Uh, Michael, your thoughts? on how the uh, all these actors did with these roles, how these roles were kind of stood out on their own, and then how they worked together as a unit through the rest of the movie. I thought, I mean, I thought all the actors were fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the strength of the movie. Like, like Zolo, uh, Maraduena, and then all of these actors, they're the anchor that makes this movie work. Yeah. If, they're, if they don't work, the movie falls apart. Uh, and I, oh, I you yeah. know, echoing a lot of what Shannon said, you know, just from a storytelling standpoint, they really nail it off the bat. Like Shannon said, like you, before you even see the reunion with Jaime, you're like, okay, there's something wrong. There's something going on. And then really quickly you learn about, you know, no job, losing the house. Like they just pile it on. So the stakes right away are very, very high for Jaime, which is great. Um, yeah. George Lopez's Rudy is one of those characters that when he first came on screen, you're like, oh, this is a big swing. <laughs> this is a big swing. Ah, this could go a bunch of ways, guys. I don't know. And then they just, every single thing that they did with him, yeah. even when he was like, I have a device that is going to shut down all the security at Court Industries. And I'm like, okay, that's a little bit of, I don't know. But then they did it, and Jaime calls him, you know, the the Mexican Doc Brown. Mexican Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah, Doc Brown. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm literally in the theater, I'm like, all right, touche, touche. <laughs> don't judge a book by its cover. Mexican Doc Brown, got it. And then him just knowing how to do everything when they got into Ted Kord's oh sort of Beetle God. Cave. Like, they just, like, they established these things about him, and then they just kept hitting those things. And then, like Shannon said, like, him having this whole, I'm the black sheep of the family, yeah. I'm the loser that sits on his sleeps on his brother's couch. I was like, man, they really... They did it. They they really, really did it. Uh, the uh, Is it... um. Uh, Damien Alcazar? Yeah, Damien Alcazar, the dad, yeah. Uh, dad, literally beautiful. Yeah. Like, to John's point, we've all had those conversations with our dads, sitting outside, having a drink, you know, talking about life. Uh, I, I did not see that he was dying coming. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? Like, it okay. happened, and I'm like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> and then, man, to Shannon's point, like, that that speech about that Nana gave about like, we don't have time for this shit right now. Like Jaime's in trouble. We got it. We are going to mourn, but we are strong people and we deal with this. Like, it was just like, they really nailed that family vibe and those little individual emotional moments, even though, like I said, this main superhero story was like nothing that like blew you out of the water. The way this specific family dealt with a relatively generic superhero story was what made it magic. Now, the one thing, I will say 
is that like at the beginning of the movie, it was a little broad in the comedy. And by which mm. I mean, like, this is one of those things that bothers me. Like your eldest son who you love came home, got a beetle scarab in his body and ran off to go figure out what was going on. And then you all start dancing. Cause you're talking about your favorite soap opera. Mm. Like, like there was moments where you played the comedy in a moment where I felt the comedy wasn't exactly right. Like, no, you should be pretty stressed out at this moment. So I was a little bit unsure, but they kept finding their footing. And once they got into the more emotional beats, I feel like they really nailed it so hard that you're like, all right, those a couple, couple moments at the beginning that threw me off. Uh, that's okay. Because you nailed the stuff that really mattered to the, to the point at which I will say that the Alberto Reyes, Jaime Reyes relationship. I wish that, uh, Henry Cavill and Kevin Costner had had a little bit of that. Cause they really could have ah, used it because this is, uh, here this is how go. you do that. This was done correctly in a way that, uh, Kevin Costner, uh, Pa Kent showing up in Batman versus Superman was uh, done less well. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, and also yeah, Damian yeah. Alcazar, like mild mannered, mild mannered comic nerd, said it in the chat. The dad was from Narcos. He was yep. awesome. He's also in an Apple Plus show called Acapulco, where yes. he plays a kind of uh, kind of similar character to this. Uh, in that he is he he's a father trying to connect with a son and yeah, yeah. he the, the show is again delightful and he's wonderful in it. Yeah, Eugenio Derbez Eugenio is the lead in that one. He is a fantastic guy. He was the guy in um Coda who was the music teacher. He is the lead in that show uh, and it's a great show on Apple TV Plus for sure. All right, so I'm going to go on a little bit because this is it's my people, man. All right, so let's talk about this. This I thought the family was incredible to see something that I have waited my entire life to see on screen in this format, a superhero format, to have it come across so well with the little nuances. I mean, I thought it was hilarious how they kept referencing the Mexican soap opera, which is a real Mexican soap opera that really, <laughs> that has existed and, and, and comparing it to Jaime, I thought was really well done. Each one of the characters was their own thing. And the father was a different kind of Latin father. He wasn't the standard typical macho father that you would normally see he was so loving of his son so caring for his son he was having those heart issues he didn't want to bother his son with it the mom is the one that also respects uh the her her husband but does but also wants to get certain things across but also wants to protect her child you see that and they avoided what sometimes happens in latino families which is the son gets more revered than the daughter you have that kind of uh, sexism or that occurs in latin families by not having Milagro want to do the same things as Jamie or Jaime, you weren't setting up conflict here where she cho where they chose one over the other. Even though she makes a little snide crack somewhere where they're in the rich house after she takes her shit, they, they that you know, oh, you're the you're the you're the, the sheep of the, or the, the one they love the most or whatever. All siblings are going to have that, but I think they avoided that. That was really smart by the writing and the characterization that they did when they're sitting on the roof. Having that conversation where she wants to walk her own path, he wants to walk her own path, his own path, and the both parents love them for it, I thought was really, really great. And then Nana, of course. I mean, my God. Adriana Barasa, who I got to interview for Rambo Last Blood, she was so good here as such a badass in this film. And they did a smart job of slowly rolling that out, right? Slowly rolling that out. She did the grandmother things. I, our grandma, my grandmother lived with us for a while in Virginia. We really, I, I, all those things are the same. Waking up to Vicks Vapor Rub, give me a fucking break. That is so 
Latino for fuck's sake. That fixes everything. It's like purple drink. You know, it fixes everything or this or the wind deck spray in the, um, uh, my big fat Greek wedding. That Vicks vapor of moment was so authentic. And so there was so much that they did that were broad generalizations of the Latino culture, but also there were specific things that they did that I thought was really great. The way they mixed both of those to, to in essence, bring out a really strong Latin family that stood on its own. And Shannon, you bring up an excellent point. When the father dies, which is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in a superhero movie, and Belissa Escobedo just crumples, Milagro crumples at the loss of her father, and Jaime is screaming his head off. Imagine that you cannot stop this thing that is happening to your father because you're being yanked away the devastation that must go through your body, especially when you've seen the relationship that they've had in the movie up until that point, it is heartbreaking. But it is Nana who does not disrespect the emotions that are going on. She just says, we will have time to cry later. Right now, we have to eat it up and we have to focus on Jaime. And Michael, I know you make a good point here about this. And normally you would think a family would react to this. But I also think about this, and I think they make a reference to it later on when we're talking about the Carapac story. Latinos go through a lot of shit to come across the border. They endure a lot of shit in their own home countries, in certain countries, and the stuff they overcome. So, like, a body horror thing isn't necessarily something that they're going to overall freak about, freak out about. So that's my counter to that, that they've seen some shit in the Latino world. And sometimes you got to be like, you know what? Fuck it. We got to deal with it. We got to get over it and get to it. And I know um, uh, the dad kept saying over and over again, we're th this is the Reyes family. We will find a way to overcome. We will find a way to come together. So you make a good point, Mikey. I'm just saying the counter or the, uh, or the uh, devils uh, being the devil's advocate. Some Latinos who have crossed the, the border have seen a lot of shit in their own country, some horrible stuff. Do the research on what goes on in some of these countries when these dictators come to power. And so, a body horror situation, maybe not as devastating as you might think. Well, and in the end, he does come back and they're fine and they figure it out as it goes along. But again, I get your point. I'm just saying maybe there was a thinking that it they didn't want to overdo it because these people have seen some shit uh, crossing the border, especially okay. Nana, who's a revolutionary. So, you know, so just throwing it out there. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, should we let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into some more here. Uh, with this review of Blue Beetle. Keep sending in your Streamlabs and Super Jets, and we'll answer some of them on the other side of this break right after this. We got 175 of you watching this right now. Thanks for joining us. Please hit a like on this video. Uh, if you're watching later, leave a comment down below as well as hitting a like and subscribe to the channel right now if you haven't subscribed to the channel. Michael, I'm going to ask you, uh, let's get into one more thing. I'm going to start with you, Michael, and then we'll get to some of the stream labs and super chats. Michael, the villain here, all right, two villains in essence. We have Victoria Cord and Susan Sarandon. We have Raul Max Trujillo playing Carapax, who is a villain of the first Blue Beetle, brought all the way up to here to be a villain for Jaime Reyes, made Latino, and having that connection to La Escuela de los Americas, which is something that's a really hardcore connection to make in a film like this. And Victoria essentially standing in for the military industrial complex in a lot of Latin American countries from the American point of view. So your thoughts overall, how did the villain stuff work for you? Did it let you down? Was it good? What did you think about how they uh, orchestrated that in this movie? Um, I think the villain stuff was serviceable. <laughs> like it was fine. 
Like, you know, you sort of had your actual big bad, which is Victoria Cord, Susan Sarandon. Yeah. And then you had your muscle CG big bad. Like we had the big bad who Jaime actually needs to fight. I think that the choice they made to sort of have Jaime spare Carapax at the end and then Carapax take care of Victoria Cord was a nice way to wrap things up. But overall, I think that Susan Sarandon was a little mustache twirly. Mm. Although I definitely loved her casual racism. Like I, I oh think that having God. this having this rich, privileged white lady going around with her casual, like calling everybody Esteban or whatever she was doing. Like it was Sanchez. like that yeah. Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that worked that worked really great. Um but I think that like she was just so broadly evil mm. that she was less interesting. And then Carapax was sort of so one note. Yeah that he was less interesting. So that's kind of what I mean when you get into the more generic superhero stuff, you're kind of like, okay, like Vic Victoria Cord kind of taking over after Ted Cord disappeared. Cool idea. Victoria Cord, like wanting to like make weapons like Tony Stark's dad did. You're like, cool. Love bringing the OMAC stuff into it from the comics. Like, like that was all really, there was a lot of good ideas there. I just think the execution was just so kind of superhero 101. And it wasn't elevated. Um, but then I feel like all the family stuff and all that like, kind of made up for it. Yeah. So, you know, like it, it did its job, but it wasn't bowling me over. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I compare, the, you know, like I was talking to somebody about this who was like, oh, DC has a lot to live up to. I'm like, look, this is this is DC. If if James Gunn is to be believed, and this is sort of the soft launch of his universe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is like early Marvel stuff. And I compare it a lot to like, you know, like Thor or Iron Man. Like Iron Man, the villain ain't that great. Thor, the villain, Loki is not nearly as good in Thor 1 as he is in later Marvel stuff. So, you know, you, you had a lot of things in early on with Marvel where they were really establishing the hero side of things and Marvel's big critique until you got a little bit later on was the villains were kind of lame. So I will say for this one, like, I love the hero. I love the family. I love the tone and the vibe. I love the location. The heroes were a little lame. I mean, the villains were a little lame. Fair enough. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts overall on Victoria Cord and Carapax essentially playing dual villains in this movie. Uh, well, with Carapax, I mean, I think where you get to at, at, at the end, the backstory that you get of him is really interesting. And if there had been a way to sprinkle some of that in at the beginning, like if part of the thing that Victoria has installed in him has taken away some of his memories, maybe. Um, so he doesn't remember that you know he had this loving family that Victoria Court took away from him. Yeah. Um, I think there, I think there was some interesting possibilities there, and I thought Raúl Max Trujillo did a great job. I mean, yeah. with what he was being given, yeah. Um, and the idea of a former hero's sister who was passed over as the villain, I think that works. I just think it was Susan Sarandon's performance that was just kind of so over the top i mean she that th this is kind of like the perfect example of jeff goldblum from jurassic park saying just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something <laughs> just because you can get susan saran doesn't mean you should um she was just so like every time she was on screen i was looking over at my wife like my god like this 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 woman at one point was hollywood royalty and now it's like, what? Well, what happened? Um, it was it, it was almost like she, they did not tell her 
what kind of movie this was, or maybe at this point in her career, uh, she was just kind of like, you can try to direct her, but she's essentially going to do her thing. Um, but I think the role itself, I think there was actually a lot of potential mm. in that role. Um, it yeah. just didn't get executed as a result of uh, the actor you cast. Okay, Mike, any defense of Susan Sarandon there in that moment, or should we... No, I mean, look, I love Susan Sarandon. I think mm. she's great. I, I think, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it was the role was written abroad and she did that or if she was told to go abroad or to mm. Shannon's point, you just can't really tell Susan Sarandon what to do and she went abroad. But she definitely didn't quite feel like she was in exactly the same movie. But mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do think it's not all her. Like the way the role was written is just so like, I'm going to have this big speech about how we're going to really do this thing. And then I'm going to say, kill the person. And like, I get what they were going for from this person that was, there's, there's better examples of like, I really do like a character that, and I think given kind of a lot of the things they were doing, yeah. I love the idea of sort of this rich privileged person, uh, trying to convince themselves that they're doing good. Mm-hmm. And that they're doing a really great thing, but really they're just horrible underneath. They're yeah. horrible and selfish and greedy. And that's clearly kind of what they were going for. But because it was all turned up to like 11, you were like, okay, this is a lot. And I think a subtler performance of that, uh, playing this whole like, I'm what? I'm a really nice, caring, amazing yeah. person. And this is, I'm doing good for the world. But like, also like, just kill this person. Like, you know, <laughs> like there was a way to play that all that was really nice. And I think they didn't, she didn't. She didn't quite nail it. She didn't quite nail it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree with that. I, I, it's not that I thought she did a bad job. I'm not going to go as far as Shannon did, but I do feel like she wasn't quite the right choice for the role. Originally it was going to be Sharon Stone, which I don't know why you cast her as a villain again in another DC film after Catwoman. But that being said, it would have been interesting seeing Sharon's Sharon's approach to this. Cause if anyone loves a chew up scenery, it's Sharon Stone. And I feel like she would have brought a little more menace, a little more believable evilness to the role because i just really didn't think susan Sarandon was scary in any way shape or form uh and i thought it was weird to give her some kind of redemptive moment like i got passed over because i was a woman and like normally it's like okay that's a bad thing we should address that but it but putting it in the villain story just seemed like a weird thing on so many levels and then finding out that even though she got passed over she's still a super evil person when we get the flashbacks with carapax i thought was a confusing thing to me the mistake they made was splitting your focus in two villains. I think we just needed one villain and a non-speaking henchman or henchman that didn't do much or, or, or just one villain, period, and make it the person. It would have been interesting to have Raul Max Trujillo as the main villain here because, as we saw with Black Panther, having a black villain and a black hero can still work because they expose some of the things that go on in the culture, some of the points of views and different approaches. And certainly we saw with Carapax, when he has that flashback at the end, there is sympathy for him. I mean, I got emotional when he grabs Victoria and drags her into the fire, essentially killing himself so they cannot be manipulated by the uh, political American military industrial complex all over again. Because when they show the flashback to Las Escuelas de las Americas, that is a well-known actual historical thing that existed for numerous decades where they trained hundreds of thousands of people in these Latin American countries to become assassins and murderers and killers and dictators. Noriega came out of the Escuelas de las Americas. That's how long this thing has been around. So there was a real cultural thing that I thought Angel Manuel Soto was trying to do with this character. But I agree with you guys. 
I think there should have been more fleshed out with him and more fleshed out with her so that we got to understand a little bit more and that their villainy is more a tragedy uh, right all the way through rather than just right at the end for Carapax and no tragedy at all for Victoria, it seems like. So I think there could have been more done here. Splitting the focus, though, I think was just too confusing in what you were trying to do. But I still like Raul in the moments he has with Jaime, when he is kicking Jaime's ass and he is standing over him and all that, that is scary as fuck when you see that stuff happen, which, which is why when the turn happens at the end, it really means something when you see him flashback to how Victoria was, in essence, the person who killed his mom, killed his village, all that kind of stuff, and turned him into this machine, this killing I, machine, you know? I do think, though, I mean, to that point, I think had you played a little bit more, because I think what Shannon says is kind of implied. Like, like Susan Sarandon says to him at the end, Victoria Cord says, but don't you remember everything I've done for you? And he mm. says, I do now. So I think right. it is sort of implied that whatever he believed, like he didn't fully remember everything either. And I think right. had you made that a little bit more a part of the story that he was like this believer in Victoria Cord, that he was like, you saved me. You did right. like, like he believed some version of something and was really, really loyal to her. Yeah, yeah. Like Bane and Talia in Dark Knight Rises loyal and then found all this stuff out and it really shattered him, he would have had more to play. Because I do think he did a really nice job with what he, he was given. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think if he had more to play, it would have it would have helped. And the other thing, Little, this isn't really their performances, but mm. it falls into the villain territory is, there was also a little bit of a muddiness to the entire Omac scarab plot. Like, Yeah, let, let's put a pin in that because I want to okay. swing back to that, Michael, definitely. Um, the, one, the next thing I want to ask real quick and then we'll get to StreamLab Super Chats. Shannon, go to you first. We're in the Cord family here. How did you feel about Bruno Marquezine's performance? And how did you feel about how Jenny Cord was uh, used in the movie and how she, uh, I don't know, how she was um, a part of the plot here? What did you think about her role in the film? Um, I think she is not the strongest actor. Okay. Um, I think that that scene that she has in, in the Cord mansion with Jaime where they're about to kiss, like, I think that is actually, I think that's probably the strongest work that she does, but mm. the rest of it, it's just a little forced. It just is not, it just does not come off as authentic. It doesn't come off as believable. Um, and again, I think when you have so many actors that are kind of knocking it out of the park, like Zolo Maraduena, like Nana, like George Lopez to stick to stand out in that you really got to bring your a game. And I don't think that is what happened. Um, the idea that Ted cord has a daughter that is battling with her aunt over her father's company yeah. in terms of the story. I thought that worked, that worked really well. And if you were able to continue this franchise, having Jaime Reyes have a connection to Ted cord, that is beyond the scarab. I'm like, yeah. thematically, I think that's really, really nice. Yeah, I mean, she's a Brazilian actress. She's done, she's a very, very, very experienced as an actress on the Brazilian side of things. Maybe there was something lost in the translation here coming in. It's not, oh, not everybody can make that jump, you know? And so maybe there was something missing. But I mean, to be fair, to be compared to all those great actors who are just bringing it, maybe it was a bit too much. Uh, I agree. I thought she was a bit miscast, wasn't as strong as she needed to be. But certainly that scene, talking about her father ted and all of that that was really strong what do you think mike overall of how jenny cord was used in the film and uh, bruno marquezine's performance and echoing what you guys said i think the idea of jenny cord is great 
yeah, like yeah. as an addition to sort of the mythology that Jaime Reyes has a crush on Ted Cord's daughter and she's missing her dad and like she knows everything that her dad did and she's fighting with the aunt and now she has control of Cord Industries. Like that's all really cool stuff. It's all great. I she's sort of a net zero for me. Like <laughs> she's like like as opposed to like where Susan Sarandon sort of like oh, I think you kind of. You went in the wrong direction, and yeah. whereas the family and uh, and Zolo Maradueña, like, kind of, you're like, okay, you nailed it. She was like, okay, you didn't bowl me over, but you didn't take me out. Yeah, like yeah. you're fine. Like if you if they do continue on with uh, these characters and Jaime and his family get to continue on into this bigger DC universe, and Jenny Cord runs Cord Industries out of Palmera City, like. I'm good. Yeah. I'm fine. I don't feel like she's like a big issue, but I don't know that she's ever going to bowl me over either. Yeah. I don't think we need to continue with that storyline, to be honest. It was nice that they had a little relationship, but we've seen it in numerous superhero movies where the superheroes kind of moves on. I mean, what? In, sure. Uh, in but... Back to the Future, we moved on to somebody else, right? Karate Kid. Well, Elizabeth well no, 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 no. In Back oh, to the sorry, Future, sorry. we did not well, move on to anybody else. <laughs> well, Karate Kid, to make that connection, uh, apparently him and Elizabeth Shue couldn't make it work after the first movie. So you know, right. it, it can happen. Yeah. But, but from a world-building standpoint, and we'll get to the post-credit sequence later, but like, yes. Ted Cord ain't dead. You're right. That's true. And Ted Cord is the re original blue beetle and you want Ted Cord and Jaime to hang out. And so right. you can't not, Oh, remember my daughter? She's on, she's at summer school. She's a, she's not in the movie. She's in right. summer school. You're like, no, like, <laughs> like, like she, like, and I guess that's what I mean. Like what Shannon's saying is like Jenny Cord as a concept yeah. is a strong concept that you should keep yeah. Jenny Cord running her dad's company and then finding out that her dad is alive somewhere and going to Jaime and saying, Hey, we got to go save my dad is a strong idea. Like there are strong ideas. Yeah, so yeah. like, and that's what I mean. Like as an actress, I don't think that she was so weak that yeah. you should dump all the Jenny Cord stuff. Cause you don't need it anymore. Okay. I think that she was solid enough that the Jenny Cord, Ted Cord, all those connections are good enough ideas that I would be yeah. more willing to keep her than not. Ted Lasso cord, right? Because that was Jason Sudeikis in the photo. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, uh, Christina B. saying, Jenny Cord seemed to be from the Katie Holmes School of Love Interests. Yikes. Oof. Oof. Oh, I don't Joey. know that she was quite on that level. Her face <laughs> yeah. didn't look melting. Yeah, give her a little bit. Oh, Mike! All right, there, there. You know at the end, I don't know why. Like, Katie Holmes weird. is a good-looking person, but at the I end know. of Batman Begins, she shows up, and it looks like her face is like kind of like, oh, hey, Bruce. Like, it's weird. That knowledge of your childhood friend being a superhero, it's a I lot mean, of weight. I can mess with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's hit some of these Streamlabs and Super Chats uh, before we go to another break and then jump into the uh, stuff that Michael was alluding to with the Scarab and the OMAX stuff for sure. Uh, and maybe that'll come up in one of these questions. We shall see. Francisco Lopez says, as a Latino to a Dominican parent, happy that Blue Beetle is good. I love it. It was fun and funny with awesome action sequences. Great moments with the characters and family. Yeah, I think we echo Agreed. your sentiments. 100% uh, on board with that. Absolutely. Uh, Derek says, the movie was good. I don't think great, but we got to be honest. WB and Gunn allowed this movie to be set aflame. DCU character, but DCEU movie. Anyone outside of geekdom even understand that? The main actor is a star. The stigma attached to this was not the movie's fault. I think they've tarnished the DC brand, and we still have an Aquaman. Superman movie isn't recovering this. Reg regular audiences uh, have clearly given up. All right, Derek goes on for a bit, so I'm going to 
read them all. Uh, keep Beetle, but rest. Can we all agree to reset this universe entirely? Gun won't do that, but everything that has the stigma of old needs to go, including peace, Peacemaker, I think is what he's trying to say. Watch it and don't put another movie out except for Superman. Also, uh, can we not put DC and Marvel in the same conversations? They're light years apart, both financially and story-wise. Same genre, but so different. The food truck that's DC Roca is on one wheel with a bad engine and desanitation <laughs> rating. I don't know what that means. Uh, love the show, guys. And Roca, I always admire how you fight for the things you care about. Really says something about your character and the friends you surround yourself with. Oh, that's that's. I'm always lucky to have such great friends. I'll have to watch later at work right now. That um, I agree with. <laughs> yes, I know you do. Uh, gentlemen, your thoughts on Derek's rant here, uh, which is very kind to send as many stream uh, super chats as he did, please. So I think a couple things. One, um, I, we do we do this a lot where we say, oh, audiences don't care. Audiences are confused. Audiences just want to go see a good movie. Yep. It's, it's the geeks. It's the geeks who get really what is part of what universe and whatever. Now, you absolutely reach a level where the entire audience is confused and that's not a good place. But like DC has a moment, like we everyone's talking about, well, we need to reset this, reset that. Blue Beetle sits in a very unique position. Now, yeah. it, 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 it doesn't actually have any ties to anything before it. Mm-hmm. Like, like the Flash... Black Adam with Henry Cavill showing up. Every other thing is sort of like kind of peripherally tied to all of the original DCEU stuff. Blue Beetle mentions characters that would exist in both universes, but it doesn't have like a Jason Momoa cameo or Ezra Miller running in to kind of establish it. So it can sort of sit in either world. And even though the box office isn't great, um, you know, hopefully, like I said, hopefully it pulls an elemental and because of good word of mouth, more people go see it and it actually does pretty well. Also, let's all keep in mind that Blue Beetle's budget is not the Flash's budget. That's true. Like Blue Beetle doesn't need to knock it out of the park and make a billion dollars to be profitable. Blue Beetle can be profitable at a much lower rate than most of the superhero movies that have come out. So let's just see where it goes. But even if it doesn't, if James Gunn is going to continue and keep uh, Jaime Reyes... I think it's. I don't think this is going to be some massively confusing thing to audiences the way that some people are saying it is. On the other, like not comparing DC to Marvel. Look, DC and Marvel have been compared to each other for sixty <laughs> years, and we're not stopping now. And there have been times that Marvel comics have been significantly better than DC comics, and then there's been times that DC comics have been significantly better than Marvel comics. And so this competition of who's doing better and which superheroes are killing it and which aren't. It's not stopping anytime soon. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to continue doing it. And honestly, it keeps both of them in check. Like Marvel, uh, I don't think is worried about DC at the moment, but I think general interest in Superman and what James Gunn is going to do is slowly creeping while Marvel is slowly slowly kind of declining in people's interests. So they're definitely keeping an eye on that. It's weird. Both of them seem to be stumbling strongly in different ways here, but gun but DC's- seems to have at least the, the, the gun thing is at least a possibility an out maybe in all of this. And yeah. We'll the the whole DC thing out. is interesting because yes, DC's absolutely stumbling right now with the stuff that they had already had in process. Right. Like exactly. we haven't hit the gun DC unit. We talk a lot about it right. and we talk a lot about these movies that are all, we're already in process and we're all coming out and what's in and what's out and what are they doing? And they're, very purposefully being uh being very tight-lipped about what is and what isn't because you know like 
they're already worried that they're going to take a bath on Aquaman 2. If they come out and say Jason Momoa is not huh? in the new DC universe, uh, then they're really going to take a bath on it. Take a yeah, bath. Said, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so DC I think, you is, know, DC is stumbling to a finish line that they decided on. Yeah. So yeah, they yeah, are true. they are stumbling, sure, but they've also said, like, we're going to get to December and then we're out of this race for the next 18 months. Yeah. So it's it's not quite the same do i think marvel is worried about them no because if dc does great generating interest in the superhero genre helps both companies yeah um it's not a haha we finally we finally got you um you know that i think marvel would love it if dc starts to do well yeah. maybe not too well not not better than them but right. they would love it if dc starts to do well because uh, across the industry people are talking about superhero fatigue superhero malaise yeah. and to sort of reignite those fires is something that that helps both companies uh yeah 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 can you help me understand this one what is the food truck that's dc roca is on one wheel you, with you oh, remember oh. you talked about dc oh. being a food like marvel was like a fine oh, restaurant that had the really good china and the dc food truck was out front you That's remember right. that i do now yeah, yeah. and and said 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 food truck has a has a d rating Oof, a d versus rating. an a or a b i mean come on are you gonna go to a food truck with a b rating you you were gonna do an about face and oh, find we, another option we, we just started watching the bear this week first season oh, oh yes, so chef. Good. it's first of all yes, I'd, chef. Have, I'd have watched this epi- this show months ago if i knew they were half an hour each i just never knew i didn't know i thought they were hour long and to me, I was Wait like till hours. you oh. get to season two. You are gonna lose your shit. How many? How many episodes are you in right now? We're Roku? five episodes in season one. Okay, but I, I'm bringing this up because when they get that C rating and the reaction that everybody has in that third episode is hilarious. So yeah, I see. You. Jay Scott of Real says, "Love the shirt, Michael." Uh, there it is. Jolo was great as Jay, as Jaime, and coming out of the movie, I really want to see Ted Cord and Dan Garrett with two T's. But I do think it was forgettable. I've dwelled on Strays more since seeing both of those movies. Ironically, Shannon went to see Strays today. Shannon, would you dwell on Strays more than Blue Beetle? Uh, would you agree with that? No. Okay. No, I, d- I did enjoy Strays. I thought Strays was really funny. Uh, but oh. no, I would have dwelled. All right. Roka's camera just opened. I knew it was going at some point. <laughs> well, Bang. I lost Roka. Bang. That's why I have this one um but uh uh no i i have not dwelled on strays more strays is very very funny um but no i have definitely thought about blue beetle more more than it yeah i yeah i mean look i like i I think we i mean i think obviously given our critique it's been pretty clear there are parts of blue beetle that are absolutely forgettable like yes i think when we talk about some of the villain stuff you're like yeah okay who cares but i don't think that the reyes family was forgettable i i think like they really stuck with me okay yeah, fair. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, as I fix my new uh, webcam there. Francisco Lopez says, uh, will we see Jaime Reyes again and Ted Cord maybe in the Booster Gold show? Yeah, a lot of people were saying maybe we'll see uh, Blue Beetle pop up in the in the Booster Gold show. Also, a lot of people suggesting because Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle, was in Batman Brave of the Bold in the comics, we might see him pop up in Batman Brave of the Bold. What do you guys think? I think both of those are really true. Like, I, I think I told somebody this, like, uh, we so we we stayed, you know, we watched the post credit stuff, which we'll get into more detail in a bit. But yeah. like this whole Ted Cord thing. And uh, one of our friends was like, why are they even doing this? And I was like, look, I was like, they're, they're making a Booster Gold show. Yeah. And if you are a fan of Booster Gold, 
one of the things you like the most about Booster Gold is Booster Gold and Ted Cord Blue Beetle running around together getting into shenanigans. Like, the two of them are like the uh abbott and costello world's <laughs> finest i mean it's like that's like it's it's great and so now that you have this world and again like it it's one of these things that with blue beetle like yes obviously warner brothers is looking at the box office obviously it would be great if blue beetle blew it out of the water and made all this money and blue beetle was a huge hit and like the latino community was happy and dc yeah. fans were happy and everybody's like good but even regardless of all of that, establishing Ted Cord is missing and that Cord Industries is in Palmera City and Jaime Reyes has the Scarab and knowing that there's a Booster Gold series coming down the line, as a architect of a universe, you go, okay, in my toy box, this is a really good playset, and there's some yeah. good characters here. So box office be damned. I'm keeping these pieces and I'm going to continue to use them because they are going to work to my advantage to build a universe. And I, I think that that's really like, I came out of blue beetle being like, there's some good ideas here. Keep yeah. this shit. It's going to be good for you in the long run. Fair enough. Shannon, your thoughts on this. Uh, do you, would you want to see it? Uh, I would totally would want to see it. And I will just point to uh, that's a seasoned uh, showrunner right there, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Delivering a pitch in the room. Good point. Uh, Eric says, haven't seen the movie yet. Going this week. Roka, I love your passion for this film. Question, are we in the end of the superhero renaissance? LVGB. I, I don't think we are. Okay. We might be. Right. It's possible. But yeah. I don't think we are. I think that what's happening right now is... We had, if you look at Marvel phases one, two, and three, more or less, like forget DC, the wild, the wild rodeo that's been DC movies, <laughs> but like the Marvel universe kind of gave us uh, up to Endgame almost like this uh, perfect sort of traditional superhero story. Yeah, they did what the comics did. They brought the characters together. They built to a giant climax, the big final sort of arc. They did it. It was great. Now. They were trying different things in phase four. Some worked, some didn't. We've introduced the multiverse. We've gotten very complicated. DC is like, all right, we're calling quits, white flag. We're rebooting everything. So now we're corner we're getting into this phase where both Marvel and DC to survive are gonna have to take some big swings hmm. and do things really differently. And I think we're gonna get into this era. I'm I might be wrong, but I think we're gonna get into this era of like superhero experimentation. Yeah. Where we take the genre that has sort of been established over the past decade and start to mess around with it, start to try new things, start to push characters in different. We're already seeing it in things like The Boys yeah. on Amazon oh, Prime, yeah. you know, like, Absolutely. Uh, or even Invincible and what they do. Like, so, like, we're already seeing some of it, but I think we're going to see more of that. And that will sort of give this resurgence to we're back into it again because it's interesting then we're going to get saturated again. Then we're, I, I don't think that we're out of it until we start getting like we're parodying superhero movies. Like mm. once a bunch of movies come out where we're just straight up making fun of superhero movies and how stupid the genre is. Yeah. And we all really respond to those movies and say, yep, we've been watching this for 25 years. We're fucking done too. That's where I think it's finally going to end. I think we have a couple more iterations until we get there. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on this? Yeah, we could be. 
I mean, it it only takes a, a few more bad things before yeah. audiences start to kind of turn away. But That's at the true. same time, all we need is a couple of good things in a row, and everybody's back in. Like the <laughs> the the movie going uh, the the movie going public is. Uh, uh, is, is not fickle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you and, give them a couple of good things, they'll be back in. Yeah. yeah. Nor is the geek community. We all hated Book of Boba Fett. That's we true. We were mixed on Obi Wan Kenobi, and Mandalorian season three was a little bit of a mess. And I am literally counting the minutes for this spoiler review because I got to go get things ready because I got two episodes of Ahsoka to watch tonight, and I'm very excited. So <laughs> the geek community will turn on a dime. Very true. All right, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll jump into some more stuff here, uh, talking about Blue Beetle, and also answering your Streamlab super chats right after this. I don't know that. Do you know that one, Michael? I don't know. Sounds it's, familiar. It's I've been humming the Beatles. Oh. <laughs> Good, good one, good one. Um, we've got a bunch of uh, Streamlabs I want to get to, but um, let's answer a couple and then we'll get into uh, the Scarab OMAX stuff here. Jim Fans is blue. Oh, actually, uh, Travis Earl says off topic, but Zack Snyder unveiled the trailer for his latest triumph, Rebel Moon. <laughs> latest triumph. Quick thoughts. Rate your excitement on a scale of super excited to the most excited you've ever been for a movie in your life. Wow. Travis, uh, respect the game for Zack Snyder. Love for Zack Snyder. Um, I, yeah, my trailer reaction is up. I loved the tra- I got to say this. I enjoyed the visuals of the trailer. But it was super derivative. I saw Gladiator, Star Wars, Dune. Just just off the top of my head, those are the ones I can remember seeing. Um, and the singing, oh, all that stuff we've seen before. And then I don't know where rock music. That being said, that being said, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm not a fan of the cast he's put together for this one. So it may be one of these ones that looks great, but does not quite live up to the hype because. The emotional beats don't work, and the performances aren't that great. So, uh, gentlemen, did you guys get a chance to see this Rebel Moon trailer? Thoughts? I have not seen it yet. Okay. I will. I will put my I... excitement as very curious. <laughs> Michael, I mean, I watched the trailer. There's about 15 movies in that trailer. Fair enough. And I think knowing how Zack Snyder likes to tell stories. We're going to get all 15 of them at the same time. <laughs> it, it was a lot. Like, it was like, all right, oh, okay, there's some griffins and a robot. And, okay, there's this character who's the chosen one. But then this guy is a bad guy. But then this is a good guy but was a bad guy. Okay, I think this – Oh, and then, all right, the chosen one. And, okay, and it was – it was – all the things that I have come to expect in a Zack Snyder movie, so I don't think I will be surprised when I watch it. Fair enough. <laughs> and to be fair, and if you are a giant Zack Snyder fan who is on a scale of super excited to the greatest movie ever, yeah. and you like what Zack Snyder does, I think your brain's going to explode when you watch this movie, and you're going to think sure. it's the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. I, I, <laughs> I actually, I will say, I'm intrigued about watching it, and I cannot wait for all of us to discuss it when it comes out. That's a fair point. Um, uh, I like these two comments real quick. All in the game says teaser trailer that was almost four minutes long. That's typical <laughs> Zack Snyder. 
Uh, and Smithy says, I was confused. Where was Riddick? <laughs> <laughs> Great comment there. Um, yeah, uh, what's the next one here real quick? Uh, Jim Fan says, Blue Beetle is similar to Ms. Marvel, where I loved the main character, family, and cultural aspects, but just as Ms. Marvel, the superhero aspects didn't work fully. Villains were generic, and the story was okay. However, I do hope Jaime continues in the DCU. Certainly, I think we all feel that way. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Hill Nellum says, whereas I enjoyed Moments of the Flash, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie from beginning to end. Oh, in comparison, I only enjoyed Moments of the Flash. I enjoyed this movie from beginning to end. My theater was not full, but the vibe I got from everyone around me in the theater was nothing but positive. Keep doing what y'all do, geek buddies. Oh, thanks. They, I, I mean, I will say not even like I said the same thing, like my theater was very on board with this movie. My theater yes. was very on board with Nana. But even even with that, like the general vibe on Twitter, and if yeah. anybody disagrees with me, let me know. Like there's obviously people that don't like it and whatever, and people are reporting on right. the box office. But whereas you think about people's reactions to Black Adam on Twitter, people's Ow. reaction to, Sh right. to Shazam 2 on Twitter, right, right, right. certainly people's reactions to The Flash on Twitter, Oof. And then all I'm seeing on my feed is people being like, guys, go support this movie. It's really fun. I had a great time. Like, I actually really enjoyed myself. Like, the general vibe mm. around this movie is very different than what the, vi the vibe that DC and Warner Brothers have been getting on their superhero movies for a while now. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's something that they pay attention to as much as they're paying attention to the box office. Fair point. All right, let's jump into the Scarab OMAX stuff here. Mike, we know uh, um, the OMAX stuff from the comics. Certainly, we've seen it uh, done before. Here, the one-man Army Corps. They're a brainchild of Victoria Cord here in the in the film. And it's a, a bunch of humans who apparently were injured in war that are augmented to become cyborgs. Essentially, the super soldiers is what she was doing, the super soldier serum in a weird, different way here to take over things. And then the Scarab, we find out from the opening of the movie, that the Scarab is from another planet. Uh, we know it's from the Reach in the comics and in Young Justice, I think. And so we know all about that, but it's presented in a certain way. We find out there's previous two previous Blue Beetles, but only this, but only Jaime has been able to be um, touched by the Scarab or controlled by the Scarab, so to speak. So what did you think overall of how they handled the OMAC storyline and weaved it into this one and the Scarab stuff here in this film as well? So I think the idea of using the OMAC stuff was great. Like we're we're you we're we're do we're using the OMAC concept, but we're gonna build these super soldiers and we need the scarab to do it and blah blah blah. That was really good. It just got a little so like you needed the scarab yeah. to run your OMAC program, but your main villain who was wearing the prototype yeah. seemed to be doing just fine without the scarab, but then when he got the scarab, he leveled up so cool. But then you needed to reverse engineer the Scarab technology so that you could use it in the OMAX. But when we saw the OMAX down in the basement in the thing, they looked like they were ready to go. Like the the confusion of how uh, what we need the Scarab for specifically do like do the OMAX work with, with it with the Scarab or without it? And they, it was one of yeah. those have your cake and eat it, too, because simplest thing is we need the Scarab to run the OMAX program. Right. But if you do that, you don't really have a villain to fight Jaime throughout the movie because he doesn't have a suit that works. Like, right. unless they made him like a straight badass who then got the Omax suit at the end. So I think because they wanted to have this villain that was could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with Jaime, which makes sense, uh, it got a little bit... Like, you got, I got to the end, I'm like, okay, so wait. 
do you really need the scarab or do you just want the scarab to make the suits cooler? Like, cause question. if you just want the scarab yeah. to make the suits cooler, like just go run the OMAC program without it and leave everybody the fuck alone. Like, so like it got, it got a little muddy in there, yeah. um, which I thought was another kind of ding on the supervillain plot. Mm-hmm. As far as the scarab, I thought they did a great job. I love the scarab. I think it's a great, I think the way they reinvented it when they kind of rebooted blue beetle with Jaime Reyes was super smart. I think mm-hmm. the reach again, in a bigger world building standpoint, unless you are a comic book fan or a young justice fan, you're not super familiar with the reach. Yeah, yeah They yeah. are an a plus alien threat. Like having the reach show up in the DC universe and Jaime being stuck in the middle of it is an A plus way to go with your new DC universe uh, and like build into something that we haven't seen before. I'm super into it. I'm super down. I hope they continue on with it. My one, my one complaint, and it's not, eh, it's not even a complaint. I think they did a good job. Like the scarab talking to Jaime was great. The scarab wanting to kill and then learning from Jaime not to kill totally all tracked and made sense. This might be a, because I'm a fan of young justice. Like, I like the scarab to be a little bit more bloodthirsty. Like I think they, <laughs> I think they dropped some comedy on the table yeah. of like the scare, like like play the scarab even more like Arnold in Terminator Two. Like the scarab is just like let me kill this person. I want to kill this person. I'm gonna kill. Like I can literally slice and dice this person. And Jaime being like, whoa, this is intense. And then kind of having like literally that we don't do that. Like, but why not? I'm designed to kill. It's like, uh, maybe we don't do it. And then the scarab kind of coming around to, to Jaime's way mm. at the end. Again, it's exactly what they did. So it's not like they did it wrong. Right. I think that having the scarab be a bit more bloodthirsty might've like, they would have gotten even more comedy out of it. But other than that, it was pretty true to the comic. It was really well done. And like I said, I think the scarab and the reach and the kind of alien side of things, like, could build into some really, really cool stuff if they played their cards right. Okay. Shannon, your thoughts uh, overall on the how they use the OMAC uh, storyline and the uh, Scarab uh, stuff here in, in, in the film? I mean, kind of like what Vogel said, like everything that they had did work, but mm-hmm. I think upping, making it more like the murder Scarab from Young Justice does get you a little more comedy, and it also makes that moment at the end where the Scarab doesn't let Jaime kill Carapax, yeah. it makes that moment land a little harder because it's not just growth for Jaime, it's growth for the Scarab as well. And that's really that's really the interesting thing about Jaime's Blue Beetle, especially the way they did it in Young Justice, is, mm-hmm. the, is the back and forth that he has with this, you know, sentient, you know, alien uh, uh, thing on, it, on his back. With, with the OMAX, yeah, the moment that Susan Saran is like, we need this to make the OMAX program work, I'm like, well, he got a bunch of armor just now, so <laughs> do you... <laughs> Um, but it was one of those it was one of those kind of 90s movies things where I was kind of like okay (laughs) I mean this is this is what we have to do to get to the next thing okay that's fine Um, I do think there was probably a way to finesse it a little bit more that Carapax could have had some sort of you know cybernetic upgrade but when but but make it way more noticeable when the scarab does kind of take over. Like that's mm. when he, fu- that's when he fully armors up. That's when, instead of actually having that OMAC face, I thought he was going to have something similar again to young justice, like black beetle. Oh, I thought yeah. he was going to have some more scarab, um, scarab influences in his armor. Um, so the OMAX as a concept are a great thing to use. Um, who knows if we'll, if we'll get to them again in the movies. Yeah. Um, what they, but what they did, what was fine. 
Uh, but yeah, you could see where there was room to plus a lot of the stuff with this particular storyline. Yeah, I think it gets, unfortunately, it gets wrapped up with the villain storyline, and which wasn't, as we all three of us have said, it wasn't really as fleshed out as it should have been. So the OMAC kind of loses power because it's connected to that situation. Yeah. Where if it had been fleshed out a little bit more, it had been constructed a little bit stronger, then the OMAC is an extension of a strong evil storyline. And that makes it all the more uh, unsettling and scary to think about the idea of arming a populace to turn on, or sorry, arming soldiers or creating these uh, mind-controlled soldiers to turn on a populace to enforce a powerful person's point of view. Certainly, that's something that has all of a sudden become a possibility in our world, which is scary to think about. And so it's like, this kind of thing could have really had some nice resonance to it overall, but I think they kind of played it safe, didn't 100% commit to it. So the OMAC stuff felt a little bit wasted, even though I thought the special effects of it worked really well overall a little bit wasted and but the scarab stuff i agree with the both the scarab stuff was great let's have more of that and i loved the body horror stuff manuel soto yeah. has directed some horror stuff so to see it work so well in the body horror i thought that was fantastic yeah, that whole even sequence though, was great yeah that and, and even though there was like stuff with you know that was very similar to tony and jarvis and tony and friday i still thought it worked because she was figuring it out as he was figuring it out how to work together and symbio- how to get symbiotic on it so that by the end when she pulls him back that's a real moment but you know you make a good point shannon could have been developed a little bit better so that moment's even more powerful i think you mikey you said that as well so i agree with that um what about the um and remember this film halfway through they decided to make this film a theatrical film and the budget increased so we got to see these things that we haven't seen before so shannon i go to you first the Blue Beetle ship was used in this movie. We also went underground and saw the diff- saw the two different Blue Beetle outfits, the original Blue Beetle with Dan Garrett and also Ted Kors Blue Beetle. What are your thoughts on all of this? Uh, I love see. It's called the Bug. That is that is it's yes. just the Bug. That's the yes. name of the ship. Not the <laughs> um, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Well, what's interesting is when Alan Moore wrote Watchmen, Blue Beetle was going to be Night Owl. He wanted to use a bunch of the old yes. Carlson Comics characters, yeah. um, and those were going to be those were going to be the characters that he was going to use for this for this story. And then DC was like, Ah, no, we don't we don't want you to use those. We're we're going to do something with them. And that's how he created original characters like Rorschach, like Rorschach. As you can tell was gonna that was the question um right yes so the the bug tech i mean that's the fun thing about ted cord is he's he's a less intimidating batman Mm. (laughs) i mean he he he's an inventor some of his stuff is a little sillier uh and and then you look at the costumes that both he and dan garrett wore I do wonder when that scene was shot, like if it if it was yeah, deeper into the production, if they would have upped that Ted Cord costume a little bit, <laughs> because it, that was really like they we're just throwing on some we're just throwing on a cotton jersey here and some goggles. Ted. Let's go, let's go fight some crime. I mean, that's pretty much what Ted, that's the Ted Cord vibe, though. I mean, Ted Cord wasn't killing it with his look. I just saw I saw someone online do a do a do a rendering of what Ted Cord could look like in a movie now, like using sort of like looking at what Jaime's you know outfit is. It's just like, oh wow, that would have been that would have been really cool. So I mean, I I thought all that stuff I thought all that stuff was fun. It would have yeah. been really cool. Would it have been Ted Cord? 
It was still really? Ted Cord. It was. It just wasn't. It wasn't one hundred percent cotton. It was still the <laughs> right. But I mean, I think it'll be like I, and again, again, oh. like when I like when I read those old Justice League Internationals, like that's what's funny is like Ted Cord's Beetle costume looks like it's one hundred percent cotton. Like he yeah. doesn't look like he's wearing Kevlar. He's not like up in his game like Batman. You're like. Oh no! You you throw that thing in the laundry, man. You you wash and dry that thing. <laughs> uh, what you uh, well? What do you think about? Um, uh, let's let's move on to the yeah, and I, I, let's move on to the um, to the uh, post credit scene because uh, speaking of Ted Cord, we get Ted Cord. He is uh, we see a picture, and I say this: it's, it looks like Jason Sudeikis to me, uh, but and we hear him saying, "Tell my daughter I love her, or tell Jenny I love her," and that Ted Cord is very much alive. So did we like that? Where are we going with that? Do we enjoy that that is uh, an aspect of this? Um, because, I mean, with the Miles Morales, yes, Peter B. Parker is around. Peter Parker is around, but he's not essentially a two-hander situation. Do you think they're setting up two-hander situation with Jaime and Ted, and you like that Ted might be coming back in a sequel? gentlemen uh what are your thoughts on that i would love it if they did that i really would love it and because when you look at like the flash's post-credit scene i mean it Mm. didn't really you know it was Clooney. you know it it, it didn't it's not it's not the promise of things to come knowing that gun would have been able to to cut that post-credit scene if he had wanted to um i kind of hope that 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 is the implication is that Mm. we are going to get to see Ted Cord, Jaime and Jenny, you know, go off trying to wherever Ted Cord has been or is being kept. Yeah. That, that it is like you know, sort of a rescue mission. I, I, I would love to see that. Like I, I also heard the Sudeikis as Ted Cord rumors, and I was listening really close. And I was like, I don't know if that's him, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it would be fun. Yeah. I don't I mean I don't think they've they haven't decided. I mean they did it no, they did no, exactly sure. they did exactly the way they did it in the first Ant-Man movie with uh with um Janet. Uh where, Yeah, Janet Van Dyne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where where you just they don't have to answer that question right now. They this yeah. is what they kind of should have done in the Flash and like they like everything they did in the Flash, I feel like they did it all wrong. And here I'm like this is right. You have this very sort of um abstract painting of Jenny and her parents yeah. that is very broad to the point that you could cast anybody and you have this staticky image that we and this voice that we don't really we can't place which leaves the door open to down the road you can cast whoever you John are you having an I'm so sorry what this is, is happening is, on this, this is screen? being weird this is being really weird I don't know what if you are doing. only listening to this podcast I wish you yeah. could see John I wish right you could now. see what's happening right um, anyway, but yeah, so I going, think Mark. like they left the door really open again. It's a great idea. Like it's a great idea. And I think that it's less the Peter B. Parker, Miles Morales situation. And it's more Scott Lang and Hank Pym. Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. just because Ted Cord comes back doesn't mean he's going to put on his cotton jersey and go start running around as the Blue Beetle again. Like right, maybe right. Ted Cord comes back and pulls a Hank Pym and kind of like sits in the background. He can supply the tech. He can do a lot of cool stuff. But Jaime is really the hero. So it's very Hank Pym and Scott Lang. It's yeah. Bruce Wayne and Terry McGinnis. It's Ted Cord and Jaime Reyes. Like, And I think, again, it's one of those things where when you're looking ahead to – one of the things you do that, that Marvel did really well is they absolutely had a lot of stuff planned. Yeah. Like they absolutely from the get go knew they wanted to do the Avengers, knew they were going to do infinity gauntlet, but the magic of the Marvel universe and a connected universe in general is having 
parts of a plan yeah and then knowing what pieces to pick up along the way and like i said everything they established with palmera city and jenny cord and ted cord being missing like these are all really good threads that as you are building this bigger universe of superman legacy and brave and the bold and all these and swamp thing and all these pieces you're like well having ted cord and cord industries around to like build shit that's probably good. We should do that. Yeah. So I hope to, to Shannon's point that end credit sequence would have been very easy for James Gunn to cut. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't cut it gives me hope. Okay. Yeah. I liked it. I, I, I think too, I love Ted cord. So the fact that they were jumping over Ted cord to introduce Jaime uh, bothered me. And when it was first initially announced, cause I love Ted cord as a character. I, got to know blue beetles through justice league international and then went backwards and, and, and got to know all the stuff with, with uh, him. So the fact that Ted's not dead, which I kind of suspected throughout the movie when it reaffirmed it or confirmed it in the uh, post credit scene, I was like, great, this should be a lot of fun depending on who they cast. Um, the other post credit scene, which I thought was hilarious is some more with the animated version of El Chapulín Colorado, which is for those of you who don't know, that's a Mexican animated series based on a live action animated series. Kind of like when star Trek, went animated after it finished its run. This happened with El Chapulín Colorado, and it's a funny choice because Angel Manuel Soto said he grew up on that uh, animated cartoon when he was a kid, uh, and so he wanted to find a way to weave it in. The fact that it's based on superhero stuff as a kind of a send-up of superhero stuff, and he is based on a, a, a species of grasshopper, I think it's just genius to use that in the film. Having Rudy use it to turn the security and mess with the security, and then having it at the end as a post credit scene, I thought was a nice... Uh, touch for that overall and a nice Do you know what I really up. wanted though? Can I give you like my pitch? Please, please, please. Cause like that end credit, like I stayed all the way to the end credits and I got mm. to that and I was like, okay, that was cute. That was cute. Yeah. Here's what would have been the cherry on top. <laughs> you have that, you have that, you have that cartoon playing and we're all laughing. And then yeah. all of a sudden it sort of fritzes and you pull out Yeah. and you're on an alien spacecraft and you see these aliens in shadow <laughs> looking at it and they're like, this is where the scarab is? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and you just left it and you're like, oh shit. Like, I just wanted to like, I wanted like some kind of reference to the reach on some level to have been like, yeah. oh yeah, bitch, here we go. And I was like, okay, well that didn't happen, but I still had a good time. Fair enough, fair enough. Do you uh, think right, if yeah, go Jason Sudeikis does play Ted Cord, that when he gets back, to the beetle lair he puts up a sign that says beetle leave oh man why like what is your obsession with doing that like why would you do that oh my god <laughs> who, hurt you? who hurt you i know right <laughs> <sighs> all right so lesson learned with my webcam because i got this webcam it is a tracking webcam so i've got to turn the tracking off so it doesn't follow me into the nether region, so to speak. Um, so I apologize to anybody who's watching and dealing with my Nobody stupidity. needs to know about your nether regions. On oh, podcast. hey oh, How dare you. How dare you. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Anyway, let's uh, let's hit in some of these uh, stream labs that have been sent through uh, from people here. And we'll uh, uh, wrap up after we do this. Um, AZ Badfish says, afternoon, gents. I really like this movie a lot. Sure, it has some familiar beats, but how the story plays out is unique. And a lot of fun. I lost my dad to a heart attack last December. Oh, AZ, uh, uh, condolences to you, brother. And this movie even made me cry a few times. I will be getting the 4K version of this one for sure. Yeah, we should touch on that. Uh, Shannon, you know, I, I don't think it's a good show without making you cry. So, I mean, like, it was... Uh, Again? <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. 
that was a tough uh i don't know how to turn this fucking thing off all right fine it was a tough situation to have um to have his father pass away in the way that he did and it was brutal the way he had him pass away it wasn't just a random heart attack in the grocery store it was as they were being attacked by victoria cords uh stormtroopers in essence and him calling out couldn't handle the chaos of it all and then ends up collapsing there and dying in front of his family heartbreaking as hell uh your thoughts on it and michael right after that please well i mean the you mentioned it earlier they sort of yeah. hung a lantern on the fact that he did have a heart condition yes which in a if they didn't do that the heart attack is a little bit of a cop-out mm -hmm. um, because you had to know that he was sick and yes. that, and, and so hanging that lantern was necessary. Okay. I also think in it, during that attack, if he gets shot and dies, that's a very different film. Like the, the way that they took him out yeah. was the, was the best way to do it. Um, and also completely heart-wrenching. Um, yeah. yeah. And that was the moment, like I knew that heart attack was coming back. Right. Uh, I didn't know they were going to kill him per, per se, but <sighs> as it was happening, it's like, oh no, this is how it goes. Mm -hmm. And when we get the scene later, uh, which was just absolutely gorgeous. And for anyone that has lost a parent unexpectedly, yeah. um, the fantasy of getting to have that, oh. you know, one last conversation with yeah, them. Um, that's something that really obviously hit me hit me very very deeply and just the way that they pulled it off i mean it was it was sad it was uh joyous at the same time yeah. um it was just really uh, uh so do, they did a really really good job with this yeah yeah michael your thoughts yeah i mean i just think it was really like i know that i keep harping on it making fun of it but like there is a comparison to be made between the Jonathan Kent Clark Kent relationship in Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, uh -huh. and this uh, relationship with Jaime and his father in Blue Beetle, and I think that they just sort of nailed it in a very simple way. Like this wasn't a "there's a hurricane coming and you could save me, but don't save me" and this whole thing. Like it was just you did. It was just it happened very suddenly. It was very brutal and it was very sad. Yeah, and and Jaime couldn't do anything about it. And then to just have this beautiful moment and they set it up earlier in that beautiful scene that they had when they were sitting outside where it's kind of like, you know, we don't, you know, none of us really know what our purpose is. You know, we're all, that's what we're here to figure out. And like when Jaime is like, well, what's your purpose? And he's like, I'm still trying to figure it out. And it was very sweet. But then you have this moment that was shot beautifully, like just the visual development around this, like being in the house, but then outside in the window, there's just like this field of candles. Like it mm. was just, it was so beautifully uh specific in the way yeah. that they did it and for him to say i finally figured it out like this is my purpose that i'm supposed to be right here in this moment with you to tell you that you can do this and then to have all of the pieces falling apart as his dad disappears and he like jumps and reaches for the blue beetle suit like it was just really like it was heartfelt it was really simple but like in the way that you want things to be simple like mm. simple in its beauty and just visually kind of real, like, especially for a movie that was sort of just like kind of going to be a max, you know, straight to streaming. Yeah, right. This sequence right here, I was like, oh, no, no, this is like, this is well done. Like, this is, this looks good. It, that CG looked good. It didn't look like the freaking plastic people in the flash. Like, this was some pretty stuff. So I, I just thought they handled it really, yeah. really, really well. 
And, you know, the fact that his dad really was, and I, and you said this earlier, John, that he's, mm. his dad kept saying, even when all the blue beetle horror body change stuff was happening, he was like, look, we're the Reyes family. Yeah. Like we, we deal with, like, they just did a nice job of setting him up as sort of the heart of their family. And the fact that even after he died, he still got to be the heart for Jaime in that moment when he needed him. Like they, like, I feel like they knocked, like, like there's a lot of things in this movie that were kind of like, yeah, it was okay. You didn't quite get there with this, this part. I think they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that too. And again, I, I want to reiterate this. The idea of having a different type of Latino father who was not the macho type, not the situation where Jaime had to overcome and the dad had to figure it out and overcome his shit and they found. No, it was a caring, loving relationship. He was a father who legitimately loved, L-O-V-E, loved his children, loved his wife, loved his mother-in-law. There was genuine love in that house. And so sometimes when we get portrayed in films or in shows, it's not that way. So to see it happen in this uh, film, I thought was a really nice breath of fresh air in the portrayals of it overall. Uh, let's hit some more of these Streamlabs and Super Chats as we get close to the end here. Doug says, I love how films starting superheroes of, starring superheroes of color feature acting life legends from their respective communities. Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh, Tony Leung, and the actress playing Nana are prime examples. That's uh, Diana Barasa. Prime examples giving them more deserved exposure. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's great to see that. Uh, I'm sure you gentlemen agree with that as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and especially with, with the Nana actress, uh, yeah. Yeah, as you said, like she, you know, she's, she's, you know, very famous. Yes, so, yeah. you know, reaching out to those older fans, mm -hmm. because obviously this is a film that's, that's aimed at a, at a young, at a young audience, yeah, but yeah, yeah. putting someone like that in there makes those older folks want to come see it. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, mild manic comic nerd thank you mild for the donation he says hey geek buds hope all is well i love this movie i would love to see blue beetle and static shock work together like they did on young justice maybe they will do something like young justice in the future with a live action movie thanks again yeah i mean damien and jaime have stuff in young justice we know damien is coming so would the static shock situation be possible uh overall in this dc universe what do you guys think about this Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's sort of the thing, even with the stuff that Gunn has announced. I think they did say that that's not everything <laughs> in, in, in chapter one, that there is more stuff coming. So, you know, they it's kind of blue sky right now in terms of what, what they're going to show. Yeah. Static yeah. Shock is just sitting there, <laughs> right for the taking, untapped. I mean, the Milestone comics in general have a bunch of gold that they've always had in the comics. But then Static Shock made that leap to, I mean, it was, I think it was Kids WB at the time, wherever, mm -hmm. like, whatever it was on Saturday morning, like, Static Shock, there is a generation of kids that grew up loving that show. Like, Static Shock is gold for DC, and it's just yeah. sitting there. He is waiting in the wings, and they would be dumb if they did not lean into it. It's a great point. It's a great point. All right, and let's uh, let's take a quick break, then we'll finish up with the super chats uh, as we're at a past the half hour mark here, and we'll be right back uh, right after this. Uh, yeah, wow. I got nothing. Like they had eight years of hits, and like I know, I mean, I there you go, Shannon. Come on, now. it's really easy from the cheap seats. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> my seats are a lot of things, Shannon, but they ain't cheap. Hey, oh. Hey, oh. Um, let's see where I left off as uh, Trey Wessel said, uh, there are a few things I want more than Peacemaker and Vigilante, Vigilante sitting down at the Reyes family table. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes, please. Let's make that happen. Peacemaker having to corral his uh, language and then having Nana put Peacemaker in his place. That's comedy gold. Absolutely. So that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, Samuel Rafty, or Rady, sorry, Samuel, uh, says, uh, can we please stop fan casting John Krasinski as every superhero with a movie upcoming? Jensen Ackles should be Batman. Would be perfect. Oh, my Jensen. gosh. John Krasinski is Ted Cord. Yes. Oh, I didn't think. I mean, listen, when those John Krasinski (laughs) Batman rumors started flying around Twitter this week, I literally wanted to throw my phone out the window. I was like, y'all just got to stop. Yeah. Are you serious? Like that, that's a, that's a thing that happened. Yeah. People started. Kalinowski was tweeting about it and said, I guess like some site that has a lot of Batman or some, some Twitter handle that does post a lot of Batman stuff, like posted Mm. a picture of Krasinski, but that didn't say anything. And then everyone else picked it up and said, rumors or batman like it just it kind of it's it's one of those things like tom cruise is going to be in multiverse of madness as tony stark like it's something that was just (laughs) self-generated on twitter and twitter was like cool let's run with it and it was just like guys leave emily blunt and john krasinski alone let them just do (laughs) their thing here's the deal at the end of the day if more fans realize that these sites and these youtube channels have to generate this kind of buzz so that they maintain their financial level. Maybe less people would pay attention to that stuff. And so that stuff would go away. The problem is people quote tweet it. People talk about it because they want to have something to talk about or they want to believe it or they want to get enraged about something. But those people put stuff out there knowing it's bullshit just to get traction and likes and quote tweets and all of that. It's, it's unfortunate. Man. It's Should unfortunate. we start doing it? No. Sure. Can you look, can you look yourself in the mirror in the morning? I couldn't, but if you John want. Krasinski is Ted Cord, you heard it here first. John, it's happening. John. It's happening. I've heard Bill Hader is Ted Cord. How about that? Shamir Kelly, I enjoyed the movie so much. This is the first superhero movie I cried in since Endgame. Wow. Melissa's acting when the dad died was incredible. I agree. It got me also. Jolo acting during that scene felt so real, knowing he couldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was here when my father died in Virginia, and there is such a um, just frustration that you feel when you're not there, when your father passes. And in a way, what Jaime is going through, the, 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 the fact that it was even worse, the fact that he actually had to witness it and was unable to console his family or, you know, be there and touch his father's body. There is a massive devastation that comes with that and trauma that I wonder They'll they'll take into other uh, Blue Beetle movies or other Blue Beetle appearances that they do it down the road. But yeah, I thought that was great. What do you guys think about this? Uh, what Shamir Kelly had to say? I mean, I definitely had I had a good cry in No Way Home with Aunt May. Oh yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, yes. But but yeah, I mean, uh, Alber- Alberto Reyes's passing was definitely uh, yeah. It was very it was very very visceral. And then his uh afterlife sequence oh. also very very visceral and yeah and i thought uh belisa escobedo was great in this yeah. moment i mean this is where this is what turned the performance around for me i mean that moment of just hitting the ground just being yeah. taken in like mm-hmm. it was just so uh heart-wrenching 
Um, and yeah, and I thought it was an interesting choice. Like, obviously, you know, you want to subdue your hero. So you've got this claw on him. Yeah. But also that's very similar to what happens mm-hmm. when someone passes. Like you right. physically, there's nothing you can do yeah. to, to keep this from happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, look, we keep saying it, but like, it, it, we all want a superhero movie to be all the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's great when a superhero movie is firing on all cylinders, Spider-Man, no way home into the Spider-Verse, mm. uh, you know, um, you know, Infinity War and Endgame. Like, just sometimes, like, every once in a while, you go to the movie theater and you're like, fuck, man, I'm the best action, I'm crying, the script yeah. is great, the actors are killing it, it's all the things. Um, but for my money, Blue Beetle didn't fire on all cylinders, but the cylinders that it fired on were the most important ones. And Ooh. I think this represents that. I think the fact that I came out of that movie loving this family. Yeah loving Jaime and wanting nothing more than to see more of this family and Jaime in the DC universe is ultimately in the long run, more important than the villain story. Yeah. Now, ideally, ideally it would have been great if both of them were killing it. Of course. Like, it's, it's the same thing that I felt with Miss Marvel. Like we're all, everyone who said it in the chat and everything is, it's the same thing. Like Miss Marvel, uh, she was great. The family was great. The villain story was uh, okay. Like it, it was there. Yeah. Um, but I'm more excited that like the Khan family is going to continue on because the villain story, you can, okay, we're going to bury that and pretend it never happened. We're going to put that one away, but the family and the hero lives on. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. hundred percent. Aisha Kenya says, uh, what did you think about the death of Dr. Sanchez? I felt that moment was brutal and not needed at all. Yeah. Um, Harvey Guillen here from what we do in the shadows fame, Guillermo uh, playing not Dr. Sanchez, which we find out at the end uh, when he has his defiant moment, saves uh, uh, Jaime there um, after questioning whether uh, Victoria should be doing the things that she's doing uh, and then ends up dying at the hands of Carapax after having this inspirational moment. So, gentlemen, was it too far? Was it too brutal? What did you all think? It was surprising. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like he was definitely like we knew that he was going to die. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The fact that he kind of blew up and you just saw like this blood spatter yeah, yeah. on the uh, on the on the on the porthole window that that was a little surprising for me. Yeah, that was maybe a little far. Okay. There was a couple. There was that like that was a little far, and then like when they were in the beetle going through the courtyard of the castle and. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Rudy yeah. just sort of skewered a guard with a leg that kind yeah. of stuck on the leg. I was like, oh, okay, that's a that's a lot for a family-friendly movie. <laughs> yeah, the Dr. Sanchez whole storyline, like, they hit the beats that they wanted to hit. Like, yeah, she yeah, got yeah. his name wrong. He clearly was uncomfortable doing his thing. And then he made his big moment. But, like, it really felt like in the script there was probably more to it than that. It felt like there was more there that kind of got cut for time. And yeah, ultimately it was a little, like it happened. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. That is a, uh, whoo. Yeah. This is this. It's not Peacemaker. This is Blue Beetle. What are we doing? So like, that's, that's, it definitely felt a little out of place. Yeah. I thought the whole usage of Harry Gein in the film felt a little out of place. I don't know why you cast a really good actor like that and give such a small role to him and small stuff to do. I think there could have been a lot more explored there. There. I think there probably was. I think there probably was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I don't think he takes that role for what it was. I think right, he took right. the role because there probably was more to it. And then right. whether it was through shooting or through whatever, I think you just like, 
look a lot like you write like these movie scripts at the beginning there's a whole bunch of stuff this is why we get director's cuts because you yeah. have all of these things and then you you do your first cut and you're like well this is a lot longer than they're gonna let me do and so right. you just start slicing anything that doesn't drive the main plot and the hero story forward. And so a lot of these secondary and tertiary character like that you're like, oh, this is a really nice arc. It parallels Jaime's journey or it parallels this. You're kind of like, cool. And like, so you sort of can see how this kind of got shrunk down to, he's there at the beginning. Yeah. Susan Sarandon gets his name wrong. He loses the scarab. He's there at the end. Mm -hmm. He helps Jaime. That's yep. his arc. And so you're like, yeah, I don't think he would have taken the role if it was just that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was more. You guys make a good point there. Fantastic314 says, when Trujillo's character, that's Carapax, remembers his mom and how she dies, then tells Jamie to take care of his family, it had Jaime. me in tears. Jaime. Oh, I'm sorry, Jaime. And uh, I'm, so, I'm so used to being in America. And when he walks to his death and takes Victor <laughs> Victoria with him, was great, I thought. And so, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Again, I said that earlier. Like, I, I broke down in that moment. Like I really kind of had, uh, I was in a press screening. I had to kind of hide my tears a little bit because I felt that pain. I felt that pain. Uh, and, uh, you know, just hearing those stories, knowing those stories, being the son of immigrants, hearing the stories of what, what people go through to come to this country or come to any country and then having them be defiled uh, by a certain political party because it serves their interests or become the convenient scapegoats. Or have people judge people like this as a, uh, by the cover without realizing there's more going on. Um, it, there was a lot here that spoke to me. And I think um, uh, Soto had a comment about it as well. And I don't know if I copied it, but he said something about it that he wanted that to be a commentary on um, the military industrial complex, the American military industrial yeah. complex, and how it has really um, damaged and hurt generations of Latino people in these countries and then uh, vilified them when they've dared to cross the border and try to find a better life for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I would say is kind of like, it's a more specific version of what I was saying before, which mm. is his big thing is throughout the movie, he says to Jaime, your, yeah, yeah. your family your is weakness. Your yeah. family, your family is weakness. Your family yeah. is weakness. And I really think had you established earlier on that Victoria Cord was like, your family abandoned you. Yeah, right. Good and point. I saved you. Good I did stage. this for you. And so, like, if you had this character who, for the whole movie, thought his family abandoned him and the Victoria Cord pulled him out of the gutter and saved him, yeah. and then you find out what really happened exactly the way that you did, and then he turns and says, Go protect your family. Like, I just think there was one little piece missing yeah. at the beginning that would have just like, the, and, I, and, and by the way, I, I agree with everything you said. Like, I think it was still, it, it was a strong, I think his best moment is the end of that movie. I think mm -hmm. his, him, his, the flashback, the scarab showing Jaime the flashback and him having the flashback and him turning and dragging Victoria Court off. Like, I loved all of that. Yeah. I just think if you have that thing at the beginning where he, we understand that he believes that his family abandoned him and Victoria Cord saved him yeah, yeah. and then learns the opposite, it would have made the whole th moment at the end even more powerful than it was. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all on that one. Um, all right, that's all the Streamlabs and Super Chats that we have, I think, that have come through. Yes? Yeah, that's everything. So, um, gentlemen, uh, let's uh, wrap up our review here as we're almost at two hours and um, – almost the length of the movie. So, uh, Michael, I go to you first. And anything we missed that you want to make sure we highlight as well 
uh, in your final thoughts on Blue Beetle. I don't think we missed anything, but I do think that uh, I'm very happy that James Gunn and Peter Safran have kind of said that this is sort of a more or less the soft launch of the new DCU. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we still have Aquaman coming and that's just going to be what it's going to be. Oh, but once we get past Aquaman, we're sort of in a fresh, brave new world. And I'm glad that Jaime and his family are likely going to be a part of it. If something happens between now and then, and they aren't, I will be very disappointed. Like this is the first time in a long time that I came out of a DC movie really sort of charmed and enamored with what I saw and really wanting to see more despite the movie's weaknesses. Yeah. Like this is a piece of the DC universe uh, that I really want to revisit and come back to. So I really, uh, I'm hopeful that we will. Okay. Yeah. Shannon, your final thoughts on blue beetle. Um, you know what? One thing we didn't talk about was the action. Yes, um, oh God, yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to get some big screen Blue Beetle scarab effects, I mean, it was awesome. Like, they showed some really great stuff in the trailers yeah. um, when his wings kind of, you know, severed that bus in half. But also just watching the the martial arts that he was using, I mean, it was just really, really fun. And watching uh, watching a character discover the things that this this entity can provide them it was just, it was just a blast. And again, it made me, it made me want to go play Injustice 2 after, <laughs> after we got out of the theater. Well, Mortal Kombat 1 just dropped the trailer, Shannon. So just throwing that out there. Yeah, look, at the end of oh, whatever this gimbal is going to do, fuck you. But at the end of the day, uh, here's what I'll tell you about this movie. This, you know, like I said at the beginning, I, I waited years, my whole life to see a superhero movie led by a Latino um, character and to be from a big studio, I didn't anticipate Blue Beetle would be the choice. And it was first announced and going straight to HBO Max. I was like, all right, that's fine. We'll see. Batgirl going straight to HBO Max. We'll see. But the fact that this one survived and went theatrical and came out as well as it did, despite what a lot of people's reactions were to the trailers, to the news, to the casting, to everything. I thought it knocked it out of the park for what it was trying to do on the family side of things, on the Jaime Reyes side of things, and on the Blue Beetle side of things. I liked that it honored the mythology of Blue Beetles before, while also stating very firmly that this is a new Blue Beetle for this DC universe. So I enjoyed that, because we're still going to get Ted Court at some point down the road. I don't know what version of Dan Garrett we'll get in terms of uh, maybe repeating stuff, whatever, but I thought that was great. So Overall, I thought it did what it was supposed to do was to get you to fall in love with this character, want to see more from this character, and really flesh out this family in a way that wasn't stereotypical, in a way that wasn't just surface approach to respecting a Latino family. There was a lot of specificity amongst the generalities that I thought worked really well. And yes, the villain stuff isn't 100% there, but it's still a very fun time in the movie theater because this cast is so good and charming and funny and in the end you can't help but fall in love with the movie and with these characters and want to see more from them so we'll see down the road what ends up happening uh with blue beetle and solo matadueña um in the james gunn universe we shall see um all right well everybody thanks so much for joining us here for this spoiler review of blue beetle uh here on the geek buddies we appreciate it madly and thanks to all the people who sent in Streamlabs and super chats and the very lively chat that we had here throughout uh shannon what do we have to tell them 
Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at The Roca Says. Mikey. Uh, well, if you enjoyed this lively chat on DC's latest entry into the DC universe and want us to continue talking about all the stuff that you love, here is what you can do for us. You can smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page if you haven't already. Uh, leave your comments below. The comments in the chat were amazing. Keep your yeah. comments going and let us know what you thought of the review, what you thought of the movie, what you think of DC moving forward. What do you love? What do you hate? What are you excited about? What are you afraid about? Uh, if you are listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some comments comments and some stars so we go up in the rankings and more people can find us and as always the best thing you can do is retweet this video post it on your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies yes well said mike and well said shannon and thanks everybody for hanging out with us now go and watch ahsoka and have a ahsoka! great time <laughs> ahsoka and we will be doing our reviews of ahsoka coming up real soon on the geek buddies as well until then y'all take care of yourselves be well and we'll talk to you next time on the geek Buddies! Huh? Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.